John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 686.DE2513, certificate number 37545. The kilogram. You know what they call a quarter pound of a cheese in France? No. Tell them, Vincent. Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese. You know why they call it that? Uh, because of the metric system. Check out the big brain on bread. That's right. The metric system. John, you've traveled the world. Some of it. Not Iceland. You've I've never been there, no. Because you hate the Icelandic people. <clears throat> no, they, they. I was invited to go one time to play a music festival and everything was great, but they were so micromanaging. Just in the... In the um, so you're not racist against them. They, they just have a national trait that you dislike. <laughs> it <wasn't>, it's not <laughs> racism, it's cultural hate. <laughs> they insisted... That I book my hotel accommodations 10 months in advance. And I said, I'm afraid that that is against, that flies in the face of my own personal culture. Your famous principle of not booking hotel rooms 10 months in advance. Well, first of all, if you're bringing me to Iceland to play a festival, book my hotel room if you want it booked 10 months in advance. But they wouldn't do that. They had a whole system that I had to conform to. And it was a time in my rock career when I was a little bit fussy or I was a little bit imperious. And I was like, no, I'm not going to book my hotel 10 months in advance. And it got us off on the wrong foot. And then later on, I saw that. And it's a small enough country that you've, you've now effectively, have you burned your bridges with I, the I, entire Republic of Iceland? Well, it got worse because then they sent me the festival poster where they were assuring me that I was highly, highly billed. And I was opening for a puppet show. And I was like, this is literally... A Spinal Tap reference. <laughs> this is the second act of Spinal Tap. I am not opening for a puppet show. And of course they said, oh, puppet shows are the major form of entertainment in Iceland. These are the biggest stars of Iceland. Did you Google that to see if in fact you were opening for the biggest stars? <laughs> no, I, I, I took great umbrage at the idea. But think about it. They might be right. Like what if you'd been asked sure. to open in, in, uh, in, in New York City for Jim Henson's Muppets? Right. You wouldn't be like, this is a Spinal Tap joke. You'd be like, well, sweet, the Muppets. I mean, yeah, it could have been that I was being asked to open for the Bolshoi, uh, but <laughs> of, I, of Iceland, but the I puppet did, Bolshoi of Iceland. But uh, but still, it didn't. It wasn't like a good bill. You should have right? requested that the marquee say "Puppet Show" and John Roderick. Yeah, and Puppet Show, and then in smaller. At, at least you'd have the photo. Anyway, so I got into this argument, and and the person that was setting it up was something like the cultural 
attache for Iceland. So it wasn't just... You're in a fight with a government minister. Yeah, it wasn't just it's, some It's not guy. a volunteer in a, in a festival t-shirt. And eventually I was just like, you know what? I'm not sure that this is a good fit. And he said, I think you're right. I don't, I don't think it's a good fit either. And then all of a sudden what had formerly been kind of like an ongoing conversation with the government of Iceland about my participation in their culture just cooled. It cooled to Icelandic. It was as if you were in a, an icy Arctic yes. emotional I was, uh, country. I was no longer a little gnome that they, that they left cookies out for. I was now an ice bear that they huddled inside against. Did a piece of ice in a box arrive <laughs> with runes carved in it? Wrapped in some newspaper? Mysterious runes. It means John sleeps with the icebergs. <laughs> Anyway, I have not been in it and it bums me out. Now I look back and I go, ah, why, you know, back then you should have just made, because I did that stuff all the time, you know, just make the hotel reservation 10 months in advance. Why do you have to stand on some dumb principle that nobody else cares about? Well, you know, they're a small country. They, they were formed by 60 Vikings or whatever. Right. They've had centuries of isolation to build up their own way of doing things. And that's right. kind of true of you as well, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. I was formed by 60 Vikings. <laughs> <laughs> and for centuries, I've been... You're setting your ways now. I've been uh, only reserving rooms and hotels a week in advance. But has, as you've told the future before, you have wandered, you spent uh, months walking between Slovakia and Slovenia, mm -hmm. sleeping in haystacks and mm -hmm. flirting with apple-cheeked peasant women. All true. So when you're on your travels outside the United States, how do you do with the metric system? Are you good? Like if somebody says, oh, it might get up to 25 degrees today. Oh. Can, can you just do it in your head? Or? Tem temperature wise, I have, a, I have a, a fair estimation, but I don't try to translate. When I'm in metric nations, I accept their measurement system and I don't constantly refer to my own. I'm well, not like, oh, it's 74 or 70. Let me multiply by nine yeah. and then divide by five. Hold on. Now I got to add 32. <laughs> I don't bother with it. And generally, you know, people communicate the meaning of things in the way they tell you. So when somebody says, oh, it's going to be 30 today, you go, oh. Like, can you tell by the timbre of his voice, like with the, yeah. the temperature that's going to be? Yeah, it's like, oh, okay, I, I'll dress appropriately. And does it work with distance too? Like, oh, that's 160 kilometers away. You can, you can just tell by the, by the way he said away. Well, my experience in, in traveling by foot through uh, the rural areas of, of almost anywhere is that people in those areas do not have a good estimation of distance. And largely it's because they don't travel very much. You know, they're kind of in their town and they know the towns around it. So when people would say, when I would say, how far to the next town? People would often say, oh, a hundred kilometers. And there'd be a little moment go by and I'd say, I know it's not a hundred kilometers. It's between 15 like and- That would be the border of your yeah, country. It's between 15 and 20 kilometers. And I just was kind of trying to get a clarification and they would say, well, if you know how far it is, then why are you asking me? <laughs> And, That's a fair point. <laughs> and to them, really like, and I'm talking about really rural areas. I mean, not just outside of Munich, but like out in villages. Everything past 10 kilometers might as well have been 100 kilometers. They're like an African tribe that has numbers for one, two, and many. And many, right. But I got pretty good, because I, I walked a lot of kilometers in my day, I got pretty good at knowing I could look up the road and kind of estimate a kilometer just eyeballing. That's the highest level. I mean, you know, we're from 
America, one of the last countries on earth that still uses an old-fashioned imperial measuring system that is neither simple nor elegant. Right. Um, based in, what the mile is based on what, how many inches it takes a, a, a mite a, to... A millworm to... <laughs> like, it's 5,280 feet, but the foot, as we shall see, has changed over time. Right. But you don't translate anymore. To me, that's the highest level. My wife was raised in Germany, and so she's very good at Celsius and kilograms and kilometers. And she will just know, like, she does not have to think 25 degrees. Let me think. Divide by five, five times 945, add 32. Seven, oh, 77 degrees. That's a, that's a quite warm day. You yeah. know, she can really just go directly. 25, that's a quite warm day. Yeah. And it's just like, you do the same thing with language, right? When you're learning a second language, at first you have to kind of hear the sentence, translate it into English in your head, and then understand it. And eventually you get to a point where you could just skip English. And Did you get that way with shorter. Spanish? Can you just understand Spanish without having to... Yeah, I saw it, it I, I saw it very starkly because when when I was taking Spanish in school, I would just have to take everything back to English word for word and then understand the English. And I guess there's just no time when you're in conversation, when you're actually in a place. Yeah. Um, and so at that point, you could you could definitely just feel the different leap where the Spanish syllables would turn directly into meaning uh-huh. and not have to you know, go through the true language, English, which, right. and then via there to meaning. I never learned a second language, so I've never had that experience. I imagine it's a wonderful feeling. It is magical because you're not aware, you know, it's the same unconscious process that happens when you speak your first language. The words just spill out from thoughts and emotions and they don't have to be mediated. That's great. And you'll, and you'll <clears> still <throat> see people doing it who will, you know, they'll be using an English idiomatic expression that doesn't work, but they'll be doing it word for word. Like, yeah. Like, you'd better do this. And they'll say, um, you know, uh, usted uh, mejor, uh, you know. <laughs> and, you know, you can't say that in, yeah. in the target language. But, well, and that's true. Uh, that's true of, like, the first time I walked 60 kilometers in a day, I rejoiced, but never translated that into miles. And partly it was because I had never walked whatever the equivalent of 60 kilometers is in miles in a day. Like I never walked a long distance in miles. You're not a hobbit. I only walked long distances in kilometers. So I have that sense of like, oh. Do you, you feel know. like you couldn't do it here? You're like, oh, there's too many miles here. I well, can't. no, it's a lot fewer miles. Yeah, it's like training in Mexico City, right? I love yeah. going to Canada and all of a sudden all the signs are like, speed limit, 120. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I, I don't like it because it's kind of a letdown. Are you, you afraid up. you're going to go back in time? Well, you, I can't <laughs> go above 88. <laughs> you get up to 120 and you're like, do, 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 do. Not that great, actually. The United States is one of only three countries that's not on the metric system. Do you, do you know this? Do you want to guess? Uh, they're, they're, as you can imagine, they are dominant world powers. The uh, other two. Uh, Australia? No, Australia is very metric. Um, I've never been to Australia either, although there's every reason I should have gone. What, how, how did they offend you? Well, the Australians are fans of the long winters. We've, uh, we are to appreciated there. And they're huge podcast listeners. Like Australians love podcasts. I just, I, I just got an email from a woman in Sydney and I, yeah. I thought that was bizarre. How would, ma'am, you're in Sydney. How did you even know that no. we have this project going on 5,000 miles away? They are major consumers of podcasts. Uh, and to be, what do you attribute this? Well, I just they, think. They don't have, they don't have uh, the puppet acts. They, well, I think there are a lot of puppet acts in Australia, but no, I think it is that. It's all the pouched animals that really lends itself to. To puppetry. It's two things. It's probably that they are geographically isolated from other English-speaking countries, so they seek out that community. They seek out um, 
English audio with a less weird accent. They crave right. that. I think that they like America, Australians, maybe even more than England or Britain. It or may whatever. not be to their credit. Uh, well, because they're, you know, they're a rough and tumble people. And also I think because they do have that uh, UK cultural connection, you know, the United Kingdom has smarter radio yes. than anywhere else, right? You turn on, turn on the radio in the UK and you'll get these programs where people are, it's a panel show with 15 people and it's a comedy show. It, then they're talking about Henry V. And, they're, and they all have it memorized. And you're just like, what kind of country is this where this is popular entertainment? And there's no pressure to be interesting either. Right. Government subsidies means you can just talk about Welsh gardening for, uh, right. for six hours. So I think, I, I, I guess that the Australians are used to listening to, <laughs> to people. To people who are not interested. Yeah, just, uh, just uninteresting <laughs> Americans just rambling on. But anyway, I feel like there's lots and lots of reasons why I should have been invited to Australia. Oh, and that's the problem. Australia and Japan, throughout my entire music career, I kept waiting. I did not want to go to those countries unless I was invited and everything was paid by for. By the president. Yeah, invited, like personally invited by the president. Ticker tape parade. But the Japanese did not embrace the long winters. They're very particular, also peculiar, but particular about what American indie rock they like. I they're, just want to go on the record and say I don't think they're peculiar. I oh, just, I think they're only particular. So send your angry mail to Doug. <laughs> Uh, and they, you know, they would choose bands around me. Like they would pick one of my friend bands and say like, we, you know, I'm talking about them as an aggregate. Yeah. You're imagining a, <laughs> you're imagining a bunch of people meeting in a bar. Like, who are we into? Are we into the yeah, yeah, yes? But you know, the, the, uh, whatever the indie rock fan community is. Yeah. It's some, I'm, there are tastemakers just like there are here. And I'm sure whoever it is that's into the yeah, yeah, yes makes them popular there. His some, fingers going down a list. <laughs> He's like, mm, apples in stereo, long winter. But no, you know, and you he know, moves on down the hold steady. You know, we named our band The Long Winters from a t-shirt that someone saw in Japan. Someone, uh, well, Chris Walla of Death Cat for Kitty was in Japan and he saw a girl walking by wearing a t-shirt that said The Long Winters. It was just one of those like Englishisms. Yes. And he was like, that would be a great name for John Roderick's band and sent me a picture of the t-shirt. Have you ever found the original t-shirt? Do you have a copy of the original Japanese shirt? No, I don't. But, but you know, our band was named by Japanese, like, uh, I can't Englishism. believe they didn't embrace Come music on. that shared a name with a shirt that one girl <laughs> yes. wore in Harajuku one time. Precisely. And then also invited us to come play at Budokan. But it never happened. It never happened. They invited Cheap Trick instead. Uh, so let's see. The so other countries are, that use the, the mile. Very good. You got back. Mm -hmm. You actually knew. Uh, the, I thought you didn't know. The Seychelles. Uh, no. Someplace close to the Seychelles. Myanmar. Really? Myanmar? Yes. But, and they use the mile. The imperial mile? Or the, not, surely not the American mile. They use the Myanmar mile. Myanmar mile. Which is a, a meandering Myanmar mm -hmm. mile. The Myanmar mile is, um... One of the shortest the foot races in, in the world. It sounds more like some grueling World War II thing where the, you know, only the, the 30 survivors talk about the Myanmar mile and how they survived. Yeah, they survived <laughs> the worst or the, the smallest death march of all. We should stipulate to futurelings uh, that Myanmar was formerly known as Burma. And it's a bit of a political statement which name you use, right? Yes. Because the dictatorship preferred Myanmar. Right. And so it kind of became a freedom fighter thing to say, oh, I'm going to say Burma. Mm -hmm. But no, they use their own kind of homegrown units uh, instead of the uh, 
kilometer, they have the Autaba and the Katha and the Gawut. Hmm. And even when they translate to English on their page, they'll kind of use imperial and metric interchangeably. Although in 2013, they did announce that they are preparing to adopt the SI system of international units. Oh. So they may get there before us. Bravo. Oh, I think they'll definitely get there before us because we've tried and failed and there doesn't seem to be any kind of groundswell to join the world. I think that will be its own omnibus entry, right? There's, yeah. For one thing, it's a bit of 1970s culture, which means we have to cover it. That's right. I lived through it. Yeah. You were the one shooting your shotgun at, uh, at kilometers per hour signs. I was. Right? <laughs> I was. The other country is Liberia. Liberia, and again, right. An American, the American influence, influence right? Influence, sure. Like our only American uh, influenced country in Africa still uses our awful units. But, Inter- um, and that's especially strange given that, you know, Liberia, although Liberia does have an, uh, there's an element to it that lives in isolation of the countries that neighbor it. Because of its American origins. Yeah. It does not share the French and British um, culture of its surroundings. Right. But I wonder, I mean, it's, although we have long borders with countries that use the metric system, we're, we're big enough and, and enough of a bully that it doesn't... It's the only reason we still do is because we can't. Right. But Liberia, you know, would, it would impact trade, I would think. Well, that's the thing about weights and measures. They're just so fundamental to every aspect of life. We don't even think about it. Um, but without a reliable system to weigh things, for example... You know, every time, every time Boeing makes an aircraft, they need to know the weight of every single part. Well, and that is a hilarious snafu that keeps happening to Boeing. That they don't know how much stuff weighs? Well, no, that in the convert, because they use inter, they have international partners that make parts for their airplanes. Right. Uh, it is not an infrequent occurrence that someone in Italy will have made a part and gone through the entire manufacturing process and. And it's a spinal tap Stonehenge yeah, scenario. They made it in centimeters instead of inches, and billions of dollars go down the toilet while they're waiting for uh, <laughs> waiting for the part to get remachined. It's, it gets in danger of being trodden upon <laughs> by a dwarf. I do not, for one, think that the problem was that the band was down. I think that the problem may have been that there was a Stonehenge monument on the stage that was in danger of being crushed by a dwarf. All right. That tended to understate the hugeness of the object. I really think you're just making a much too big a thing out of it. Making a big thing out of it would have been a good idea. No one knows who they were. Uh, or, you know, even some, it could be a small unit as well. A, a pharmacist uh, preparing a dosage needs to know mass and weight very precisely. Uh, totally. Or something goes very wrong or, or very, very right. right. <laughs> <laughs> but as a result, you know, over history... Uh, so we use this weird measurement system built on numbers like 5,280 just because we're so set in our ways. Mm-hmm. The rest of the world has embraced the much more simple and elegant and standardized metric system where everything's a power of 10. Right. And that was seen as a revolutionary act when it first took off. Uh, during the time of the French Revolution, a, a nobleman named the Marquis de Condorcet was very, he was a firebrand for the metric system. We need a simpler, uh, and universally accessible method of me- uh, measurement that everyone can understand. You know, we need the metric system not just because it's nicer for accountants or scientists, but as an act of revolution. His motto was, uh, you know, there should be a measurement system a tous les temps, a tous les peuples. Like uh, for tous all les temps, ta- a tous les peuples. As you often say. Mm-hmm, I do. And what does that mean to you? Uh, well, it means uh, as the wings of the butterfly, so too... 
the uh, the waves of the ocean. That's uh, that's not a bad poetic mm-hmm. translation. More literally, it means for all times, for all people. <sighs> there should be a metric system that's universal for all, um, and that has not always been the case. Hmm. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get Get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. Because it's hard to come up with a universal measuring system that stays fixed. Uh, right, because it would be a thing that would generate it would generate kind of spontaneously in regions, right? You would, because there's always a need in trade to be able to weigh a standard amount and pay a standard amount. We've talked about how Napoleon's height is often understated because there were two different standards for the foot in his era. Uh, Napoleon was only five foot two, according to the Pied du Roi, the Mm. French foot that Charlemagne established as more or less the length of somebody's arm. Charlemagne's. Perhaps. But, yeah. That's, you know, it's mm-hmm. the foot of the king, although it's his arm. Arm his of foot. the king, right? Right. It's, it's misnamed on several levels. Well, that was the thing. In Charlemagne's time, arms were called feet. Yeah, and uh, the king, some guy was called the king. So <laughs> the arm of some guy was translated as the, the foot, foot of, the, of king. the king. But in Belgic feet, you know, with the, you know, with the Henry the First. The uh, pied de Belgique. There's a rumor that Henry the First reestablished the foot in England to match his own arm. And so... Because he's not an exact physical match of Charlemagne, one would right. assume. Futurelings are scratching their heads. Henry the First is not just Charlemagne with with head replacement. The clones of the future, like say what now? Of People course, were of course they would sizes? be. Yeah. The weirdest thing about us that probably freaks you out and has maybe become a sexual fetish for you is that we were all different heights and weights and sizes and shapes. Weirdly differently sized. It was just a carnival every time you went to the grocery store. (laughs) You can imagine how difficult it is to buy clothes. And it is just that difficult. (laughs) It actually is. Although for Ken, who seems to be a perfect medium. I am a perfect medium. Everything just fits right off the rack. And I can also speak to the dead. It it, it works (laughs) both ways. Yeah, both kinds. Uh, Well, and, and because of that, you know, trade is difficult and there's a profit uh, motive involved in fudging right. weights and measures sure. as well. So, you know, that's one of the reasons for the atula tampa atula pupla, you know, mm-hmm. don't get cheated by merchants. Let's have a system that everyone can agree on and understand and you won't have the butcher putting his finger on the scale or or shaving his penny weights. The butcher could still put his finger on the scale. No, he could not. Uh, the Marquis de Condorcet would cut it off with a little I guillotine. <laughs> uh, interestingly, do you know the Marquis de Condorcet has been in the news lately? Really? Uh, for his theories did, on, wait, wait a minute. Did he make inappropriate advances to an intern? <laughs> uh, he did. It turns out that in the 90s, he was all over Mini Driver and yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, no, he passed away. He was actually, uh, to escape the guillotine, he killed himself in a French prison hmm. um, and now only speaks to me when I'm at Uniqlo. 
talking to John Quincy Adams. Uh, no, the Marquis de Condorcet uh, had elaborate theories on how voting and election should work. Oh. Kind of governed by this theory that uh, the option that wins should always be the one that would beat the most other options. Mm-hmm. Which sounds simple, but is hard to implement in actual balloting and election design. Uh, and his thinking leads to a case called the Condorcet Paradox, which is kind of a rock, scissors, paper scenario where... Rock, paper, scissors is what we call it in English. <laughs> rock- what were you translating it from? <laughs> uh, uh, it's called, rock, scissors, paper. It's the old uh, roca, tijera, papel <laughs> scenario. <laughs> whereby uh, option A beats option B mm-hmm. and option B beats option C, but, and we're fine so far, but then the weird... Option C beats option It's a, a. weird M.C. Escher loop oh, yeah, where, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, pe- the, the people would rather have Trump than Hillary and they'd rather have Hillary than Bernie, but they'd rather have Bernie than Trump. Right. So who should win? It's, a, it's the end the, of Reservoir Dogs. It's the Ouroboros of voting. And this actually hap- is happening in our era when you poll Brexit in the U.K., People would rather remain in the EU in aggregate than have a hard Brexit. Right. You don't want a hard a, Brexit. Which is a sex thing. But they would rather. Well, it's, it's also if you, it's a kind of breakfast. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a cracker they have. It's a, it's like Weetabix. <laughs> I'm going to have. It's, it's like this, it's the store Weetabix brand. With Marmite on it's it. It's the store Tesco brand of Weetabix is called a hard Brexit. Mmm. Let's put a little marmalade on it. What was I saying? Oh. Right. So remain beats hard Brexit. Right. But hard Brexit beats negotiated deal. Beats soft Brexit. And negotiated deal beats, beats remain. Remain. So no one oh. actually, and this is maybe the, the core of their whole scenario and why they can't get a, a parliamentary majority and why they can't even get a single political party to, to coalesce behind one of the options. What's crazy is at the time of Brexit, the, the, the EU and particularly the French were like, you're out. You know, if you don't like right. it, then you're gone and we're not going to be, we're not going to be nice about it. But somehow now, like the EU is just sort of standing patiently by while the Brits wander around maybe in they their long johns. Maybe they think it's funny. It is funny. <laughs> they're like, we love British comedy. Look, it's like Mr. Bean. They don't know what, <laughs> they're not talking. They don't know what they're doing. <laughs> so that's why Condorcet is in the news. But that really has nothing to do with his deep abiding love for the metric system yes. that I can see. Except that he's a, you know, a methodical man of science, a man of the enlightenment who, who is a revolutionary because he wants things to be prettier um, and, and theoretically nicer. Right. Uh, a streamliner. He's a streamliner. Yeah. Right. That's, is that the kind of revolutionary you are? I try to be a streamliner. Yeah. In your life? I try to- You uh, like to put things in boxes? I try to be a streamliner in my theoretical musings. I see. I'm always, I'm always doing similar things. I'm going to daydream about this in the most efficient way. Well, I'm going to daydream about applying efficiencies to modern problems. Do you actually do it or do you just like to um, think about it? Well, I write it all down in my manifesto, which I haven't published yet. (laughs) Right. And what's the name of your efficiency manifesto? Oh, uh, well, the 472 laws of Rodericism, of course. (laughs) That doesn't sound that efficient. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. I feel like if you were a streamliner, you could get it down to... 420. 472 is the number of cats it takes to scale to the top of Mount Baldy. Well, that's exactly the kind of metric where units used to come from. The, uh, the pound, the ancient Greeks uh, had a, their equivalent of the pound was a certain number, an insanely large number of carob seeds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> 
as, as was the style at the time. Uh-huh. We've talked about your love of carob. Everything, everything's better with carob on it. Like instead of using chocolate, maybe some like kind of hard waxy chocolate that's been soaked in pickle brine. Well, they didn't have chocolate then, right? Because that's a new world food. Right. So carob was, was uh, the Eastern I'm not, delight. I'm not sure if they knew it was a confectionery. I don't know what they did with the what carob What would they seeds. use it for otherwise? Uh, well, in this case, they used, it, they used it to weigh things. The carob seed was the one that they thought was the, the most standard in weight. Oh, I see. The uniformist across the, great number. The uniformist seed, which in fact it is not. Hmm. Um, What's a more uniform seed? Oh, everyone knows it's the uh, sunflower seed. No, there are some sunflower seeds that are really big, grand Right, ones. you toss those out. No, you eat those first. first. Yeah, you go through and eat those. <laughs> And then what you're left with is the ones you didn't want to eat first. And those are all about the same size. I see. Uh, so their unit of little tiny weight was based on the carob seed. And that's where our modern unit, the carrot, comes from. Oh. We still measure gems in, in carrots, which was about the weight to the Greeks of a carob seed. And of course, this does not make sense in the modern world, that a, a couple thousand carob seeds should be your standard of how you define so a two a carat diamond weighs the same as two carob seeds. I would like to propose to futurelings that they take their wedding rings off and find some carob seeds and let's see if we can confirm this. Yeah. I mean, maybe in the future, gems are everywhere because the diamond industry, the diamond monopoly has collapsed. Oh, and they finally, and, we and realize. carob seeds are what's actually rare because. <laughs> we realize it, how many, uh, how many diamonds there really it are turned in the out world. there were way more <laughs> diamonds than uh, actual lasting romantic attachments. Mm-hmm. It turned out, it turned out finding someone who could put up with you for a lifetime was way harder than getting a diamond out of the ground. So well, you know, there's a huge glut. In ancient or not, you know, in whatever pre, uh, colonialism, central Africa, there was a lot of gold, but no copper. And so copper was, their a, best. was a precious metal. And if you, and you, you had to trade long distances to get copper and they were like, get this gold out of here and get us some of this hot copper. So during the French revolution, uh, the government tried to standardize, I mean, everything. They tried to have a more sensible calendar. We should do a entry on the French revolutionary calendar with its oddly so, named months. And were they uniform 30 day months? Yeah, I think that was the idea. 30 day months. And then what would it be? Uh, a little four day holiday or something. I think they would just not have those days. They how would, how they would they just decree? Mm, we're going to cut that off, like slicing off the stuff that sticks out of a sandwich when you press the bread together. But how would they get the, the uh, calendar year over the space of four years to actually line up with the, I don't understand what you mean. You just, you just say they're not going to have those days and then you don't have them. <laughs> That is the, that is the revolutionary model for sure. <laughs> right. You just guillotine <laughs> off the remaining days. For example, the, uh, the meter was adopted as a, as a universal form of length and it was, uh, it had a scientific basis instead of, um, you know, the length of some thing or some guy's arm, it was going to be a, a, un- a constant one 10 millionth of the distance between the North pole to the equator. So one you, ten millionth of the distance, right. which they had by this time confidently measured. Yes, yeah, so you run a meridian through Paris. Um, that's about the right latitude that it gets rid of any of the the bulge of the Earth messing things up. And then there's some pretty simple geometry you can do based on trigonometry and and geodetic surveying and triangular surveying and whatnot um, to does, establish a length. Does the Earth not bulge and contract in the course of its many oscillations and and um, Lava 
baptisms. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the that's kind of the problem, you know. Even if you say something like that, oh yeah, it's on paper, it's one ten millionth of the distance between the the pole and the equator, or you know, a kilogram is just a liter of water, distilled water at the freezing point. It's, it's however much that weighs, you know. You say something like that, but what about at fourteen thousand feet? Right, it doesn't help someone always to measure that thing. So in, th- in that case, what you do is you have to make a thing. Um, like a bar. Yes. You have to make like an ingot. And that's what happened in Napoleonic France after the revolution. There was an ingot made, which was kind of the reference meter. And, you know, there were two lines on it, kind of like how you could put the whole omnibus on a stick with mm-hmm. a single mark. Right. Except this is twice as complicated as the omnibus. You put two marks. Two marks. And that's a meter. On a platinum bar. And that's a meter. Well, now wait, is it measured from the center of the mark or from the edge of the mark? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I thought this was going to be so easy. Well, no, I thought the idea was to to connect them to universal constants, like the oscillation of atoms. That's that's you know that's what Condorcet would want, and that's what we're moving toward today. In fact, that's what we're moving toward right now in our time, well, uh, the year of our Lord twenty eighteen slash twenty nineteen. We are finally achieving Condorcet's dream of actually linking these standards to universal constants that that don't change anywhere in the cosmos, but they just didn't have the science for that. Uh, you know, at the time they couldn't even do the meter that way. It, you know, it, it took until the 19, I think seventies before we said, Hey, instead of using a, uh, a platinum bar for the meter, like let's just measure the speed of light very accurately and there say a meter is a certain fraction of that. There you go. But it only works when you have the science to measure the speed of light down to, you know, a bajillion decimal places or, right. or whatever you need for, you know, essentially perfect accuracy. And of course there's downsides to having a physical standard. You know, Britain had a uh, platinum cylinder that they used for their pound, the British imperial pound. It had a little groove in it so that you could, someone, you know, the, the, the royal master of weights could pick it up with an ivory fork and weigh it against other things so that replicas could be made of it to, to be sent throughout the kingdom. Did it need to be ivory? I think it kind of did. Because otherwise there would be some transference of of metallic atoms from one to another? They're definitely choosing whatever they feel will not change the mass of the kilogram. Because here's the problem you have. Once you have a reference kilogram, and this is what happened when the SI system of weights was established, a platin, platinum iridium alloy cylinder, you know, the, the stablest metal they could make, mm-hmm. uh, was placed under a series of bell jars in Paris. And that's problematic because it's in Paris or because it's in bell jars because, <clears throat> because, because of, of Sylvia Plath because of a, yeah, the bell, bell jar. Yes. It was very insensitive, <laughs> very insensitive to women poets, but this is a time when all scientists were not women poets. Right. So it, they didn't uh, even, unlike the future, it didn't even occur to them <laughs> in the future when all science is done by confessional women poets, things are very different yes. um, and probably better, honestly. Um, that, but that, that would be your, that would be your Twitter hot take. Yes. The woke. <laughs> probably better, probably better. Moving on. My woke uh, uh, opinion here is that yes. science, all science should be done should by be done women by confessional women, poets women from poets. the 60s and 70s. So all of, uh, it's under, it's <laughs> hidden behind seven proxies in the form in, of bell in, jars. In Sevre, <laughs> France, which is the, the BP, the headquarters of BIPM, the Bureau International de I don't know, it's however you say weights and measures. Well, you don't say international like that in French. You just pronounced it in the Spanish form. International. International. <laughs> sounded like you were. De poids et maîtres. Oh, wait. Um, yeah, I got to practice if I'm going to replace Trebek. 
I need my, Oh yeah, you have to have that his I need weird my French. Self-conscious French accent ready to go. Which just means the International Bureau of Weights and Measures. Mm-hmm. And they send replicas of this kilogram all over the world. Uh oh really? But yeah, there's there's but, seven of them here in the US. There's seven in a basement in Gaithersburg, Maryland, again in uh under lock and key. But if the one under the seven proxies is under there to keep it, you know, it likes keeping our country safe. Right. Um, how, then they're sending out these like decaying ones, these garbage ones. They're and, also very good. They're all made of the same platinum iridium alloy, um, you know, they, from the same batch. But as soon as they took it out from under the bell jar, it was shucking off protons like, uh, like somebody uh, picking cotton. That's the problem. We've known for, uh, from the late 20th century on that the kilogram is not staying a kilogram. If you measure it against its replicas, you can see the atoms come and go. The mm. difference is now as much as 50 micrograms. <laughs> Between Le Grand K, the right. you know the the big K, the international reference uh, kilogram, big K, which is what we used to call Mighty Mo, the the USS Missouri. Big K was big my K. Uh, big K was my high school nickname, man. <laughs> oh sure, of course, big, big K. K. What's up, big K? Uh, the IPK, the international ironic. prototype kilogram, or whatever it stands for. It was ironic. <laughs> you're a perfect medium. Stop pretending you're the big K. What's up, medium K? I was the biggest guy in my high school whose name started with K. Oh, I get it. After Keith transferred. Right. Um, and so there's a 50 microgram difference between the real kilogram and some of its theoretically identical replicas. And here's the problem. Which is which? Right. They got switched. So by definition, by international definition, there is no higher standard for the kilogram, but what this one cylinder weighs. Right. So once it changes 50 micrograms, that's still a kilogram. The kilogram just changed everywhere. Right. If it got 50 micrograms bigger, you just lost weight. Yes. Awesome. If it got 50 micrograms smaller, everyone on earth gained weight at the same time. If it got bigger, that would have been the most successful weight loss strategy I've ever pursued. (laughs) And it would be universal. Just fatten up the kilogram. But except it's all your friends lost the same amount of weight. So if if your reason for weight loss is to feel comparatively better than others. It's not. It didn't help at all. No, it's just so I can wear my Christmas pants. (laughs) But your Christmas pants also lost weight. (laughs) They didn't didn't lose volume though. Right, right. So we're good. Um, so, and this is one of seven measurements that pretty much our entire system of measuring everything today is under a glass in France. It's based on, they're all under a glass. Well, they're not all physical measurements. Um, they're not all physical things for a while. The meter and the kilogram were, but now, uh, you know, the meter we've measured the speed of light precisely enough that we can just say, okay, now it's a, 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 a fraction a theoretical that, constant. Right. Yeah. And so therefore um, a centimeter is an even smaller fraction. Right. A millimeter is is gauged according to its uh, according to the speed of light. Yes, like the millimeter on your ruler by international consensus comes from the speed of light, and all measurements break down in this way to be related to some combination of these seven other base quantities, all of which started out as uh, as kind of rules of thumb. You know, the can the candela is a unit of brightness, which originally was just the brightness of a one average sized candle. Right. Right. Not a little birthday candle. No. Not a weird um, sprinkle rose petals on the bed, big candle. a normal whale oil candle. Right. Of actual Liberace candelabra diameter. And uh, and the horsepower of a car is the power of a horse. Right. Uh, And over time, those have all changed. You know, the candela is now 
the same, you know, it's been calibrated to be roughly the same as a moderate candle. So you can still use that as a rule of thumb, but now we want it to be uh, unchangeable. So it's the frequency, uh, the, the brightness given by a certain frequency of green light, the light that the oh right the human eye is they most can sensitive measure to. the wave right right um, so it's got to be something like that you can measure something that always happens the same in nature and we can look at you the know light the light of one LED Christmas light the second used to be tied to the movement of the Earth around the sun and as you pointed out that, that changes yeah that that changes something we have to add a leap second sometimes. There's lava. Unless you're in revolutionary France, in, in which, which case, case you just um, you don't. guillotine off the second. And in 1967, we managed to change the second so it's no longer tied to these big ungainly celestial bodies whirling around. Now it's 9,192,631,770 uh, periods of the radiation, the microwave radiation that will make an electron in a cesium-133 atom jump valence levels. So, uh, and that was chosen because this- That's more simple. <laughs> uh, well, more simple, but also like cesium decays at a constant enough rate. Yeah, it's, it's what you make an atomic clock out of. And we realized, hey, we've got these atomic clocks that only will like lose a second every 1.4 million years. This is more reliable than, than whirling heavenly bodies. Well, it is unless you're a futureling to whom 1.4 million years is the blink <laughs> of, a, of your giant eye. But this is not linked to, you know, there's no decay involved here because this is, this is something you can do in a laboratory. Right. What will be the frequency of the microwaves I need to make this cesium atom change state? And then you can just blast it with that frequency, multiply by 9 trillion, 192 billion, 631. No, I did that wrong. 9 billion, 192 million, 631,000. 770. I think I said it wrong the first time. You did. Time. You said it wrong the first time. And then you get a second. Let me get my Ta-da. graphing calculator out. Yeah. You, you want to check my, can you check my work there? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's see how long let's it lasts. Carry I'm going to change the, one. I'm change the, uh, the oscillation of this cesium proton and it wasn't or electron. And sorry. it wasn't even until 1983 that the, uh, that the meter was changed to, to base it on the speed of light rather than a bar. They still have the bar as a curiosity, yeah. but they're no longer worried about the bar expanding or contracting. Well, the bar's got to be worth a lot of money too. It's not like they just put it out with the trash. <laughs> you think they need it to, like if they have budgetary problems, they're just going to sell <laughs> the reference meter? Just slice just off the Put it the on end. eBay. <laughs> Lots of platinum iridium for sale. Uh, it can be one of your, uh, it can be a doorstop for it you. It would be an incredible collector's item, the original meter. Would you replace your inst- uh, ingot doorstop with the uh, reference meter? Well, let's assume that it's a very- It might be pretty big. It's, three, it's, it's, it's almost three feet long. It's a stable- Over three feet. Yeah, over, over, a little over. It's a stable uh, metal. It's not like it's decaying. It's not going to radiate, right? No, it's perfect for you. Uh, so It's the most stable thing ever made. Think about that. Think about that as a doorstop. But, you know, how stable are these things? I mentioned the British Imperial Pound that you needed to pick up with its little ivory fork. Right. The problem with that is the Houses of Parliament burned down in 1834 and, oh, and suddenly- Melted the pound. The kingdom was without a pound. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing- my kingdom for a pound. That's everybody's nightmare, you know, that something could happen to, you know, some amazing heist. George, right. George Clooney sneaks in there. When you say everybody's Catherine nightmare. Catherine Zeta-Jones wriggles under a laser and, and steals the reference kilogram. Oh, that scene. Entrapment. You know, she didn't have to be wearing yoga pants, but that was, that was a creative choice that they made when they made that film. Well, if I were her, I would not want to be wearing fabric that would bunch and wrinkle because what if that's the bit that catches ah, the laser? Right. You, you know? do want to just be basically like in a Catwoman You suit. want to be Lululemon up. 
When you say it's everyone's nightmare, I think you're exaggerating. No. I don't imagine that. This is the most common fear. <laughs> when I lay First, around at night speaking, thinking then of hor- horrible things. But oh, above what the, if we lose the pound? This is what worries me. Something happening to my children. Yeah. Or, or to the reference kilogram. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com slash start that's unlimited access to thousands of lessons exercises and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks just go to musician.com slash start that's y-o-u-s-i-c-i-a-n.com slash start and so what did they do when parliament burned down how did they uh, how did they duplicate how did they reverse engineer a platinum pound they just had the guy that used to hold it a lot, you know, just, they put just a bunch of carob seeds in his hand. He's like, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> he he stood there and he poured some seeds out of his little bag and then put it down. A, I'm sure they had, place of the I'm statue. sure they had a, you know, they had to figure out what the most authoritative replica was and, and get it in from, oh, because from leads were, or whatever. Right, sure. Were. Like that, the reason why you have the ivory fork is so you can make a ton of copies and then everyone in the land can have access to an exact replica of the king's pound. But still. That's not a super elegant system. It seems like you could upgrade that, mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm. there's a, it doesn't seem weird that there's a, a metal cylinder sitting in Paris that tells us how much everything weighs because all units come from these seven. The second for time, the Kelvin for temperature, the ampere for current. We've mentioned the candela for brightness. We've mentioned the kilogram and the meter. And then the mole, which is kind of the hand waviest one, but it's the number of particles in a particular amount of a substance. Right. Molecules, atoms, ions, whatever. I mean, and from seems... those, from those you can make anything. Like uh, the Newton, the unit of force is defined as the amount of force it, it takes to accelerate one kilogram of mass hmm. a single meter per second squared. Hmm. So from kilograms, meters, and seconds, we get you can, you can make that. And if you apply a certain amount of force to a area, so it's that over meter squared, you get pressure. And that's how we measure the Pascal, the unit of SI pressure. Everything we measure in the world comes from these seven irreducible things. Well, there are two two directions to come at this. And one is for the layperson, who cares? I mean, for the layperson, if a if what we call a foot varied by an inch or by the length of someone's toe it wouldn't matter because it, it, because we're all those measurements are just relative to themselves. If a pound of seed varies by ten seeds or or not, it's all arbitrary. But from the standpoint of science, who are using these measurements to describe things that are actually happening in the universe, then it becomes important that we have measurements that are incredibly accurate and constant over time and universally accepted. Because science is describing, struggling to describe things that are actually happening in the world. Science is not 
relative in the same way that like how big a diamond is. Yeah, I mean, 50 micrograms in the reference kilogram is not going to kill anyone if a pharmacist gives you 50 micrograms too much of a stuff. Although it would reach a point where actual physical professional usages like that could start to get thrown off. Um, because, you know, the amount of, of substance that will kill your body does not change when the big, the Le Grand K in Paris changes. Like your, your body will still die with right. the same amount of, uh, of a toxin, no matter what's going on in Sevra. Right. And um, if Charlemagne's arm had been two inches longer or, you know, or, uh, the imperial pound actually weighed a kilogram, it wouldn't have changed like the way that trade happened, for instance, in its origin. But in science, like I always think about how, um, you know, they put the Hubble Space Telescope in space and then they found out that all the pictures were blurry. Uh -huh, Do you because, remember this? Because the mirror was ground Yeah, there was a single speck of paint that threw off the calibration of their mirror polishing test. And as a result, one of the mirrors was a tiny bit too shallow, like 120th the width of a human hair. And, and that was enough. That was enough to make these photos of the these faraway nebulas look just awful, incredibly blurry. And weren't they able to correct that with computers? Yes. Like they actually had to send up a, you know, or they had to send in a, a cable guy. Like they had to send a repair crew up <laughs> in a space shuttle to swap out the components that got screwed up. Oh, oh, it wasn't a thing where they just could improve the resolution by compensating for that tiny difference in the, in some algorithms. No, we spent billions and billions of dollars to put seven humans in orbit so humans. they could, <laughs> you need humans <laughs> and computers. Fix this humans. <laughs> you need them both because that was the only way to do it. Mm. Um, so it's been a dream of scientists for a long time, not just for kind of anal condor say reasons, mm -hmm. but also for reasons of actual mm -hmm. precision to replace this growing and shrinking kilogram with a theoretical construct. But it seems that scientists would have long ago insisted on a measurement system exclusive to science, because again, who cares how much a diamond weighs, but rather than make a second 1,700,000,000, whatever's, why they, they should just make it elegant and say it is 1 billion. Our new measurement which is the glob or the glebe <laughs> is 1 billion, 1 billion oscillations of a certain like, electron. Like you don't like that they picked 9,192,631,770. Well, I recognize that that that's is- That's for backward compatibility. That's backward compatibility, right. But, but they could have found something that had a very elegant uh, <laughs> like number and just said, this is the new way that we do science. And it doesn't have to interact with- you guys measuring grain in some farmer's market somewhere. I think the problem is they're streamliners. They want, yeah. uh, they want the second used in a lab to oh. measure something decaying to be the same as the second used by the NFL. Equal for all. It's Atule Tomp ah, and uh, Atule uh, Pupla. C'est très bon. <laughs> the problem is how do you, like what, what in the universe do you tie mass to that doesn't change? Right. And it turns out to be a very tricky problem Everything involving changes. a lot of very tricky math. And, and uh, it all goes back to, it turns out the way you do it, and we've actually gotten precise enough in recent years that scientists have started to feel confident, you need uh, a, a mass measuring machine called a kibble balance, <laughs> which is named for, not named for a dog food, but for a dude named Kibble. Uh-huh. Who, which, who was named for dog food. And, and it looks like, a, it looks like the funny thing is it looks kind of like an old timey balance. It's got two pans that are measured against each other. 
Um, the problem is that the, the difference is that one uh, pan of this balance is being affected by um, an electric force. Listen so, to the pan. Kiss the pan. <laughs> the pipes of pan? Well, children danced to the pipes <laughs> of pan. What, you're, what a kibble balance is measuring is the, the strength of the electric current it takes to balance out a certain mass on the other side. Yeah. And what you use is a very tiny little uh, universal constant with like 14 zeros after the decimal from quantum physics called Planck's constant. Planck's constant relates the frequency of a photon, mm -hmm. you know, the elementary quantum packet that light and other radiation comes in with the energy it contains. Mm -hmm. And this is true. So it's a ratio. Yes. And this is true of all photons which are surround us everywhere. It's the simplest thing you can get. That's photon normalizing. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't, is that photo normative? <laughs> it's super photo. For people that don't have photons? Futurelings are like, oh my God. I wish we had photons. <laughs> That'd be great. I could see. I could microwave my bagel bites. Or maybe they're listening and going, photons. Yes. We just, do you think we just led to the rediscovery of yeah, quantum physics? The rediscovery of sight. We did it. Yes. Um, and job. so, that, so a Planck's constant gives you the ratio between the frequency of a photon and the uh, energy it contains. And as we have known since Einstein, energy and mass are kind of the same thing. Right. There's a mathematical relation, a very simple mathematical relationship that can between relate mass and energy. Energy a is mass times the speed of light squared. You remember. And so what that, if you combine those two things, we now have a way to relate the frequency of a single photon with a certain amount of mass. So this scale that you're describing is just one of those, it's like a scale in 8-bit computer graphics. It's not actually, there's no scale. Uh, you mean a kibble balance? A kibble balance is not, there's no, no kibble balance in the thing. world. No, they, they, to, to measure the kilogram, you need a kibble balance. You need to apply a certain amount of electricity to one side and see what will, uh, you know, what kind of mass it balances on the other. But how do they keep the kibble scale itself from changing its properties? Uh, very carefully. <laughs> I mean, so this Do they is, keep it under seven, seven proxies? <laughs> under seven bell jars? Now we have to keep the kibble balance under the... Well, that's kind of the, that's kind of the essence of the problem. Because they, you know, through means like this, they have managed to reduce the four remaining... Uh, kind of arbitrary basic SI units to cosmic universal constants. Mm -hmm. um, the Kibble balance lets us relate the kilogram to the Planck constant. Um, the ampere, the unit of electric current, is now uh, given, in it's the same, but it's given in terms of the electric charge of a proton. That seems the easiest one to do because it's already there. Right. Yeah. There's protons everywhere. They've all got charge. Why shouldn't that be our, our current? Just There's use the protons everywhere. They've all got charge. That's a great indie rock lyric. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> write that yeah. down. Not a Decemberist lyric. It's too forward thinking. <laughs> it is. No, that there are protons everywhere and they're in the rigging of the mass. What's that? What's a prog leaning uh, uh, indie rock band that would use a, it's, it's more of a, uh, what's the death cop for cutie side project? Uh, with oh, uh, postal service. Yeah, it's a postal service yeah. lyric. No, that postal service lyrics are all about that one girl. <laughs> Aren't all rock songs about that one girl? <laughs> uh, Kelvin, our unit of temperature, is now related to the uh, Boltzmann constant, which is a constant that uh, is used in math and physics to relate the kinetic energy of, a, of the particles of a gas in aggregate now say that to again. the temperature of the gas. What is? The, Kel the Kelvin is oh, our unit of Kelvin. temperature. Okay, yes. It's, it's the same uh, size as a Celsius degree, 
but it starts at absolute zero. They, it's like Celsius has been shifted down to negative 273 point whatever. And so now a degree Kelvin, functionally to us a degree Celsius, is uh, no longer the temperature it took to boil water or whatever it used to be. It's now related to uh, this constant that is a ratio, a proportion between the kinetic energy of a gas and the temperature of a gas. Any gas. Yes. And again, the problem with all these is just measurements. You got to make sure you can actually measure. You, your Kibble balance is good enough right. to measure the amount of charge you need. And uh, that is reverse engineering in the form, in the case of the degree Celsius, they didn't want to change it. They just wanted to find a thing that could get close it, enough to It's it. the same as the, it's why there's such a weird, uh, you know, nine billion periods of the cesium atom instead of, why don't you just make that? Right. 10 billion or, or pick a different atom or right. It's so it can be backwardly compatible with the Celsius that was, was based on, I think, boiling water. Um, the mole, the number of particles in an in a amount of a substance used to be based on 12 grams of carbon 12. And now they just bypassed that directly and said, no, we're just going to use Avogadro's number, which is what it was designed to do. So uh, this was just voted on in November and the, all the, the you know, this passed. Voted on by who? The International Academy of Weights and Measures Science? It's actually, weirdly, it's the uh, ESPN Top 100 Athletes of the 20th Century. <laughs> Some of them no longer with us. Secretariat's dead. Uh -huh. Will Chamberlain's dead. But all the living ones got to vote. Uh -huh. on, Michael Jordan uh, was there and he was like, yes, absolutely. No, you're right. There's a board of scientists that makes up this international bureau. And they're the ones who had to decide, like, are we good with this new system, you know, are, are we confident in our measurements that we can now unmoor everything we measure in the world from arbitrary, variable, you know, experimental results and physical artifacts and instead tie them to the primal basic forces of the cosmos. And uh, people voted in favor just in our time, just a few weeks ago. And in May, 2019, which for us is a few months in the future, mm -hmm. but for our listeners, the dim dimly remember past, this will be how the SI system now works. Not a single human artifact will be required for us to measure anything we measure in the universe. That's exciting. Now, do you think it's going to be something like um, when we exploded the first, when we split the atom for the first time, when we exploded the first nuclear device or created the first atomic reaction, there's been speculation that we were being monitored by uh, UFOs Sure, they've been here all along in the form of owls. And when they when they saw that we had done this, accomplished this, then they started to appear in the form of discs flying over Mount Rainier, and uh, little sparkles that appeared to the um, Apollo astronauts just to get our attention. Because they're like, okay, you guys have passed this threshold. Now, do you think when we arrive at a place where our all of our measurements are tied to? universal systems that they will say, aha, all right, now you're on to it. I know, right? So we always thought the boss level was splitting the atom or, or going to the moon and writing the commander thinks aloud. That's right. <laughs> and other Christmas carols. But it turns out connecting the yeah, connecting if, the centimeter to the speed of light is It turns thing. out, yeah, it turns out using Boltzmann's constant to get temperature. What if that's what the UFOs are waiting for? And on, you know, in May 20th or whatever the date is in the spring. Some UFO will appear in the form of Jodie Foster's father. They will all just step out of nothingness and reveal. <laughs> they will step out from behind our bookshelves. Right. You've done it. Now you qualify to be our servants and food. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so we shouldn't do this? Is this like... Well... Are we, we're, you, you wouldn't think we'd be playing with fire by linking uh, mass to Planck's constant, I mean, but here we are. Stephen Hawking about it. He's got some opinions. The scientists who uh, who are kind of responsible for this 
push, think of it as a great democratization, continuing the work of the French Revolution. Almost nobody had access to the platinum iridium cylinder in a basement in Sevres. Right. But... Now anyone can any, measure right, the cesium atom. Anyone who can build a kibble balance <laughs> and operate it correctly with the sufficient amount of skill and precision can determine the kilogram. Right. And obviously that's a little bit hand wavy because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't democratize science in any real way. But there are actually efforts underway to to make that a reality, to kind of miniaturize kibble balances huh. okay. so that they can be more universally available. And we finally achieved Condorcet's dream when the uh after the, the vote was complete and uh, it was clear that the kilogram was going to become linked to, to universal constants, the three scientists most responsible for this change all got a forearm tattoo. <laughs> did they really? They did. Really? Can you guess what it is? A uh, forearm tattoo. A swastika. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's the one they don't show to the media. The one, the one they were showing to Wired, uh, they all got Planck's constant tattooed on their forearm and the eight-word French motto, a tous les temps, a tous les peuples. That's beautiful. But here in the United States, none of this affects us, right? We're still measuring distance <laughs> by how far Davy Crockett could throw an armadillo. Yes, thank goodness we are insulated from all this craziness. You and I don't have to know anything about Planck's constant. It's all still pounds, shillings, and ounces for us. <laughs> and that concludes The Kilogram, entry 686.DE2513, certificate number 37545 in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that the mile and ounce and Fahrenheit degree, Fahrenheit degree, the, the furlong, <laughs> the, furlong the hogshead, the uh, bale, the, the bushel. I assume now that you're reorganizing your house, I assume you're still organizing everything in terms of bushels and, and packs and, and, yeah, and demijohns. Right. That's right. Hogsheads. Uh, uh, armadillo you're, hurling. You're putting everything into, into barrels of, of uh, yeah. 19th century weights and measures. That's right. That's right. Uh, uh, well, basically how much hash oil you can put into a quart of, or how much a, a quart of hash oil weighs in a, uh, like a shell oil can. Is there a unit of, uh, like. That's a unit that determines how far you can drive your Honda Africa twin across Egypt. I was just wondering if there's a unit of, of cannabis highness that can be related uh, to, uh, dude, there's no limit to highness. <laughs> uh, anyway, in the event that all of these things have contributed to the, the, uh, continuation of all of these American-based social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gmail. Maybe, maybe that's what's keeping the UFOs away. They're going to wait for us to all get off social media. Well, or they're going to wait for some universally established standard of social media where the, the social media servers are all located under seven like, I thought it was the emoji jars. alphabet. <laughs> oh, sure. It could be. There's a lab right? in France where under a jar, it's like, here's the poop emoji. <laughs> here's the eggplant emoji. Here's smiling and crying both. Don't it, touch. It will be, uh, yeah, it'll be like a seed bank somewhere, just like the Omnibus Project. <laughs> uh, why don't you go hang out with us on our Facebook page? Uh, Ken is there all the time, secretly commenting under a under bunch a of different names. Under a thousand. There's actually no one on that page but me <laughs> talking to myself and telling me how great my show is. Uh, if you can tweet from where you are, 
under the uh, under your seven, seven bell jars. Yeah, under seven bell jars. Seven tweet to Ken or at least look at his tweets. No, you know what? Tweet at Ken. He loves that reply. Every time you have something to add or subtract. After a, after every time I make a joke, make sure you tweet not your best. Right. To me. Or, that's, that's my favorite. Or explain his joke to him. Right. Or tell the same joke back to me as if I had not just uh, told it using the same premise. <laughs> Love that. He's at Ken Jennings. I'm at John Roderick. We are at Omnibus Project. You can look at my Instagram page. I haven't posted anything in the last couple of days. Um, that doesn't mean anything to them. That it doesn't was, mean anything to you. You'll, you'll, you, can, you can see every Instagram post I ever posted in the space of the oscillation of one kilojoule of an orange peel. It'll all flash in front of your eyes simultaneously in four dimensions before you die. Uh, you can email us at omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com. Uh, like I said earlier, the Futurelings page on Facebook. Futurelings spelled with an E. Futurelings. Can you imagine if we had not spelled it with an E? Is it like Roderick? Is it Futurelings? Well, it would be like Futurelings. I think it's four syllables. It's Futurelings. For Churlings. Right, like Chitlings. Hmm. All right. Uh, well, we say Chitlins. We don't say Chitlings. Should we say Futurelings? Is that our folksy, uh, our folksy way to say? Hey, now, Futurelings. Gather around. Pull uh, up a barrel. Have a seat. Ken went to the mailbox today, and we found lots and lots of postcards, some digestive biscuits, uh, a beautiful handwritten letter, and then what's this? What are you unwrapping there? What's this Foley uh, work you're doing <laughs> over there? Let me just unwrap this. <laughs> Why, look, I got my very own. Oh, your bell sounds bell. nice. Well, let's compare bells. Here we go. Here's mine. Mine's like a full, uh, what, a semi, t- uh, two tones lower? That's beautiful. Yours has a nice, nice ring to it. Let's do it at the same time. Three, two, one. It's a beautiful chord. That's nice. Do you think that there what? will ever be an instance where the two of us bell at the same moment? <laughs> That's what the UFOs are waiting for. <laughs> Simultaneous puns. Well, now, wait. There's that bell that I got you that you've never used. Why don't you hit that oh, one? Tr- I forgot can, about this one. Can you hit that one so at the same time? So once I put up my laptop screen, I don't see anything behind it. So here's so here's the uh, the red John plastic bell by itself. It's not plastic. All right. Let's do all three. Wait. Why is it? Why would you paint the metal? It's well, red painted metal. Look look at mine. That's the kind of thing that screwed up the Hubble. Oh, yours is all painted. Yours yeah. is like Fiesta Wear Orange. Mine is from the game Pit from the 1970s. I've had this bell since I was a little kid. Pit used to come with a bell? It had a bell, yeah. I feel like I have Pit, but I don't remember if mine had a bell. Well, well if, it must. It's if a- it does, the orange bell from Pit is the canonical bell from all of my programs. Uh, anyway, we're going to hit all three at once. Okay. Three, two, one. That's kind of lovely. It is nice. It's like the Chinese emperor just came in. Ring, Christmas bells, merrily ring. Is this a Mannheim steamroller uh, moment for you? Uh, once pretty soon, uh, we'll be able to replace all of our physical bells with a Mannheim steamroller Casio sound. Once pretty, <laughs> once pretty soon. Is that a Ken system of measurement? Oh, did I say once pretty soon? Once pretty soon. That's how I start all my stories. <laughs> Gather around children. Once pretty soon, a long time ago <laughs> in the never, never times. Uh, so anyway, our address is PO box five, five, seven, four, four shoreline, Washington, nine, eight, one, five, five. Listeners, from our vantage point before the singularity in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. 
We hope and pray that the catastrophe fear is years away. Uh, that's measured in terms of seconds, not decaminutes, I guess. Mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. the second is still not super metric, but... No, the second is still what? Based on... Cesium atoms. Cesium so atoms. It really should be... It shouldn't be 60 seconds to a minute, 60 minutes to an hour. You don't like that. It should be 100 seconds to a minute, yeah, 100 should, minutes to an hour. We should have decaminutes. Yeah. That's what I think. Mm. That'll be my French revolutionary clock. One of the things I've uh, I learned about the way the Chinese count is that they're and this is believe me I have no idea I have no way of proving this but I heard this, this. is certainly not true I heard this somewhere should we make a Chinese chord with our bells is that okay here, here we, we go, go. Uh, the the it was explained to me that the Chinese say um, instead of thirty they say three ten or three tens so when they're doing math as as children. It's pretty easy to say three tens plus five tens or three tens plus five tens five. And it makes, uh, it, it, math just is very intuitive. You're, you're saying that's why they're good at math. As opposed that's to like, as opposed to 30 plus 50, where a child has to translate that into Spanish and then back into English, uh, to understand what, what those numbers are. Did so you, yeah, I do, I do feel that that's why. If we had better names for our numbers, if we, had better, we if, would just be killing on these international education tests. Yeah, if our math was more intuitive, because that's what it, it's, it is three tens five. It doesn't need its own word. Do you know the 30. French, do you know the French system? No. 70 is 60, 10. Oh, 60, 10, sure. And so 74 is. Uh, 60, 10, is, 4. I think it's 60, 14, which is even oh, weirder. right. And then 80 is uh, 420s. It's, it's, it's Abraham Lincoln numbers. Yeah, it's, it's all crazy. So they're, at least we're better than the French. That's, and I hard. tell myself that several times a day. Better than the French? At least, you know, we're inferior to the Asians, but at least we're better than You're the like, French. You're like, ah, good job, Ken. But you know what? Better than the French. <laughs> if the worst comes soon and we're nuked by the French for our casual... They do have nukes. Our casual racism. <laughs> Then this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word to you. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Omnibus.